What up, though? Welcome to the Fat Boy MMA Podcast, where we talk about everything combat sports, but mainly MMA. If you want to hear a couple regular MMA fans talk about MMA history, notable fighters, up-and-coming fighters, and everything in between, then this is the podcast for you. Now, I should warn you, we're not professionals, but we are big fans of combat sports. Now, if that sits good with you, grab a beverage, sit back, relax, and let's go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Fat Boy MMA Podcast. I'm your host, DC. And of course, I got my co-host here with me, Locke. What up, y'all? So, today we have a brand new segment. (laughs) And the people don't know about this segment, of course, but they know the reason why we have the segment. And the reason why we have the segment is we recently talked about a fighter or more than one of our, you know, latest episodes. And I said, I really wanted to do a fallen gold on this fighter. But the issue is, I really just don't think this fighter fits into the category of what we're usually looking at when we talk about the fallen goat, right? In in the fallen goat series, we're looking at people that at one point in time were considered the goat. They were doing tremendous things in the sport. And at some point in time, it shifted for them, right? But they had, you know, the big wins. They were in the big, you know, promotion. They had the big wins in the UFC. They beat other champions. They had belts, you know, things of that sort that really, to me, puts you in that category where people are really arguing as to whether you're the GOAT or not. This particular person is one of my favorite fighters, one of the most exciting fighters, and an all-around scary dude, but I just don't think he fits in that profile. So, the new segment (laughs) that we have, we're going to call that Gloves and Roses. So, similar to, uh, you know, what we do when we're talking about the Fallen Goat, we're really championing that person. We're giving them their roses as to what they've done in the sport. We point out all the notable stuff, but I wanted to do something like that where we can almost highlight any fighter, right? So, you know, sometimes there's fighters out there. They may have been a spectacular fighter for whatever reason, but the record really didn't show it or they they didn't get the championships or for whatever reason, we really want to highlight that fighter. This is going to be the segment for that. So for our first gloves and roses, we're going to talk about none other than Melvin Manhoff. So <laughs> before I go down the road of the typical stuff, lot, I want to shoot it over to you and just see what you had, what your thoughts were. Well, I first, I love the fact that we're now generating new segments just based on our conversations because the name Melvin just came up a couple times in the last few episodes and that's just planting that little seed in your head that just keeps growing. Like, you can't say a Dutch kickboxer around D.C. <laughs> without him needing to converse about it. So he's been uh, – this has been coming for a while. But one of the reasons I'm glad to talk about Melvin uh, Manhoof is – I don't know if it's Manhoof or Manhuff. And I listen, I watched a bunch of yeah. videos today, and I heard both, so it didn't yep. help. So uh, I'll just keep saying it both ways so that no matter what, I'll be wrong at least half the time. Um. But I, I really like this one because I think this is a a good example. Melvin's a great example 
of how MMA is a sport where you can't just simplify it down to the wins and losses. Mm -hmm. You know, I think uh, he brings an interesting skill set. He's never been in a boring fight. And I think he's a guy for either a casual fan or someone that's newly interested in the sport to just kind of see him and easily blow him off as a journeyman fighter. And I tend to disagree. So I'm excited to talk about this one. And the other thing I wanted to kind of mention, because I know we've used the verbiage uh, before, but where you said we're going to give him the roses. So with the segment being called Gloves mm-hmm. and Roses, it's based off a quote that you had said uh, where you give people their roses while they can still smell them, which basically just means... You know, you get all these artists, musicians, stuff like that, that are not appreciated in their time. And then after they passed away, they become cult heroes or cult classics, that kind of thing. And kind of the concept of the, the saying is based around give them the roses while they can still smell them, which means let's not wait until Melvin Manhoof is, you know, retired or out of the game to be like, you know, he was pretty exciting. Let's uh, right. let, Let's go ahead and enjoy it while he's still got a little bit in the tank. Yeah, all good points, all phenomenal points. Um, You know, as far as his name pronunciation, so he's from uh, Suriname, the same as uh, Tyrone Spong, which is somewhere down in South America. I'm not even sure exactly where it's at uh, down there. But um, just like Tyrone Spong also, you know, he he went over to the Netherlands and I believe he was pretty much raised over there, right? So you take a, a... person from surname and then also you shoot them over to the netherlands and then you have us americans trying to pronounce the name we'll never get it right (laughs) right and apparently it's a recipe for a nasty fighter you know you born in surname so somewhere somebody in surname if you got like an athletic semen scrappy little baby boy or girl whatever move them to I don't know Dutch. Where's Dutch at? That's uh, uh the Netherlands over the, in um that is in shoot it is so on the tip of my tongue uh shoot shoot I'll think of it in a second but uh, you just reminded me I need to look up this other fighter I think he might be from surname too but I'm about to look it up right now and find out um. But if he is, that would be um, that would be absolutely crazy. Let's see. He is. So if you remember me mentioning multiple times my all-time favorite kickboxer, and he became my favorite kickboxer when he beat um, uh, Ernesto Hoos. Was that the fight I think it was? Uh, and it's a guy named Remy Bonjowski. Well, Remy Bonjowski is from surname and he also is a dutch kickboxer (laughs) and you know for a long time um he was one of those guys you know really up there in the sport uh tremendous fighter but for some reason it popped into my head and i was like you know i think he's from there too uh but yeah sure enough he is and um and ironically in that same conversation ernesto hoost he was born in holland so he is Mm -hmm. dutch Mm-hmm. But his parents are sorry. Uh, no, I didn't know that at all. Yeah, I definitely did not know that about him. Yeah, hmm. interesting. So that's the combination. 
Yeah, that, we, we we figured it out. So get, we get that baby, get that baby to the Netherlands, man. We solve shit here. <laughs> okay, so Fort Melvin. Um, you know, I'm going to run down a lot of the typical stuff. Talk a little bit about wins, notable fighters, everything like that. And one of the things that's important to know about him, he's one of those fighters. Um, that really did a lot of fighting in both uh, kickboxing and uh, MMA. Um, he did quite a bit of fighting in Muay Thai also. Uh, although for kickboxing and Muay Thai, for some reason, I saw a lot of discrepancies in his record. It looks like a lot of those fights you just can't find. Like, they're not listed. So depending on where you look, I've seen um, out there, if I look at a spot like uh, Glory has him listed at 47 and 12. On Wikipedia, he's listed at 38 and 14. And on BJJ Fanatics, he's listed at 38 and 14. But even with that, I can't find that many kickboxing slash Muay Thai fights, right? Um, And that's one of those things I think that kind of goes with the sport. It's one of those sports where... And, you know, you would hear this about a lot of the Thai fighters. Most of the fights, like, you know, there's no, they don't do good at keeping records. <laughs> you just go and fight. Well, it's be- for the crowd. Because <laughs> they're fighting every week, you know. Yeah, and Right. You know, they they can't keep track of a lot of these. Or they're, they're not. Let's just say that a lot of Dutch kickboxers and a lot of Muay Thai kickboxers come up and they're not necessarily sanctioned by the Nevada State Athletic Commission. It's it's a lot yes. more uh you know the the ring ropes are legit ropes and uh you know there's chickens are running around and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and for a lot of these fighters on both sides, you know, it really is their way of getting out of and getting their family out of poverty. So they start fighting at a pretty uh young age. But um, as far as MMA, um, his MMA record is 32 and 15. Uh, Not a spectacular record. Going back to your point about, you know, if somebody just looked at the record or whatever. But what is quite notable is 29 KOs out of 32 wins. That is ridiculous, right? Almost nobody, even heavyweights, don't have that type of uh, win to knockout ratio. Right. Uh, almost anybody that you can think of would not have that. Probably Francis Ngano is the only person that might have something close to that. But you just don't get that kind of, um, you know, that kind of ratio of wins. Uh, notable fights. I'll start with MMA first. Uh, he's fought Cyborg, the male Cyborg, Evangelista Santos, Ian Freeman, Sakuraba, Mark Hunt, Dennis Kang, Sexy Yama, Gegard Mousasi. Uh, Polo Filio, Robbie Lawler, which, of course, you mentioned on one of the episodes when Melvin came up. You mentioned that fight. Tim Kennedy, Brock Larson, Joe Schilling, which Joe Schilling didn't pan out to be the best MMA fighter, but he's a ridiculous kickboxer. And the guy is freaking 6'3". And uh, as mentioned before, which will come up later, Melvin is not a big guy at all. He's 5'8". And he's not even a big 5'8". He reminds me of kind of a Tyron Woodley type stock. And so for him to be fighting at 205 and heavyweight is ridiculous. 
Um, also, Rafael Cavallo, Cavallo and Corey Anderson. Um, as far as kickboxing, notable fighters, he fought Tyrone Spong and uh, Remy Bonjowski, who we talked about before. Uh, Gokan Saki, Sabit Samedov, uh, Ray Sefo, which everybody's obviously fought Ray Sefo because he's been fighting 100 years. <laughs> um, uh, um, Mark, Hunt, real, real I, quick, one of my ahead. favorite Ray Sefo moments was when mm-hmm. he was like the president of one of the organizations. I forget what it was, if it was PFL or whatever, and a uh-huh. fighter pulled out and he stepped in and fought in the main event. Yes. That was a very yep. Vince McMahon move, except yeah. it's real. Yeah, it was last minute too, because I remember he had on like a suit and tie type deal and, you know, switched over and it was like, yeah, he's going to be fighting. And I think he was like doing some type of commentary also. Like he was wearing many hats that day. But, um, and, uh, if I didn't mention, uh, Gokan Saki, he fought him too. So a lot of big names that he's fought in both MMA and, um, and, um, you know, the world of kickboxing slash Muay Thai. So before I talk about any specific accolades, I want to know, um, what do you think, or what kind of jumps out to you? And you can pick one of each or, uh just you know one as far as kind of notable or favorite MMA fight or kickboxing match or anything like that yeah and one of the guys I wanted to mention that you didn't bring up and he's a guy that's kind of gone the way of the dodo bird uh, as far as MMA nowadays but he also fought Doug Marshall who uh Doug the Rhino oh I must have missed that I must have yeah, he was one. a he was a WEC champ at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time when he fought him, Doug Marshall had been on a four and one row in Bell- Bellator, so he went over to Bellator. He was on a pretty nice tear, so that was a pretty big win too. And Doug Marshall is one of those guys that, you know, now is not a name necessarily, but at that snapshot, he had his moment where he was, you know, one of the closer to the top of the heap of uh, you know, MMA fighters. Mm-hmm. Um. But I guess one of the fights that stands out to me um, that I, I kind of want to talk about, because I, I rewatched a few of his fights getting ready for this, and uh, it was kind of the fight that brought him to my attention, was the Sakuraba fight. Yeah. And now, what's impressive to me with that one, that wasn't prime Sakuraba, and I know that. But it also wasn't Sakuraba towards the end where he went on, you know, this terrible tear when he lost like eight in a row or whatever. This was still very competitive Sakuraba. And it's not that just that he beat him. It's not that he knocked him out in the first round. It's just the sheer violence. So I rewatched the fight and I would recommend anybody, you know, if you're a fan of just action fights, go watch uh, Melvin Manhoof and Sakuraba. To me, this is what put Melvin on the all-violence team. Because at one point, it was in a ring, uh, because it was for Dream. So they were over in Japan, and they were in a ring. At one point, Sakuraba was kind of caught up in the root ropes, where Manov couldn't punch him as hard as he wanted anymore. And he just grabbed him and dragged him back to the center of the ring like a child, and proceeded to completely beat the utter shit out of him with... Not even ground and pound because he was still standing and Sakuraba was on the ground. And it's just some of the most vicious, violent stuff. But, you know, 
whether you like Sakuraba or not, you know, if you're a Gracie lover and you hate him, or if you're a big fan, either way, seeing him dragged back to the center of the ring with a child, like a child, is one of those moments where you're like, oh, shit. (laughs) This guy isn't bullshitting. And Sakuraba is actually one of those guys that we need to put on a list to do this type of episode for. I really don't think any newer MMA fans know Sakuraba. Um, The funny thing is you can be a Gracie fan and still won't know Sakuraba, even though he has the nickname, the Gracie killer, right? Because he only fought over in Japan. I don't think he fought outside of Japan. He fought for all the big promotions over there, but also he was, um, if I'm not mistaken, before coming into MMA, he was like, um, you know, their version of, you know, WWE, like he was a pro wrestler or something like that and came over. And although um, he's of that culture, they gave him no easy fights. He fought nothing but a murderer's row of who's who at the time over in those promotions. And uh, he went out there and pulled off a lot of wins over, you know, guys that you just didn't think he would, uh, he would beat, but, no, that that was a really good fight, absolutely. And like you said, uh, as you mentioned, the all violence team. Uh, he definitely um, he definitely belongs there. And I'll actually throw out there the fight that you talked about before, um, the one with um, the one with Lawler. The reason why that fight is so notable to me, what he went out there and did to Robbie Lawler nobody does to Robbie Lawler. Now, for those that don't know, Robbie Lawler ended up winning that fight by first round, uh, you know, KO. I mean, it, legit KO. Melvin was out, completely out, right? But that may have been one of only like three f- shots that he landed in that fight. Um, Melvin was really taking it to him. Melvin was hitting him from every angle he was using that that what i used to love that you don't see as much with that dutch style of kickboxing every combination ended it in a, in a kick and you know he would throw a combination and then kick across the thigh kick across the body low kick combination and he was really that inside leg kick that he was hitting lawler with lawler could barely put his foot down um it was a display of beauty to me. And of course, as we know in the fight game, just like what just happened to Usman, it only takes one shot though and you're out. And that's what happened in that fight. Well, I'm glad you brought that fight up because I wanted to talk about it, but I didn't want to lead with it because I just recently watched Daniel Cormier chew out some dude where they were talking about everybody talk about their favorite rock hole moment. And, uh-huh. uh, and you know, Daniel Cormier, he's like a teammate of Rockhold, so he's a big fan. Yep. And one of these guys tried to be like a smart-ass, slick guy. You know these ESPN guys, they don't understand the, the MMA culture. And he picked as his Luke Rockhold standout moment when he got knocked out by Bisping in the second fight. And Daniel Cormier just started fucking ragging him, saying, you don't do that to a guy. That's disrespectful. <laughs> How dare you? And... uh and I know DC's a big listener, you know what I'm saying? Because Daniel Cormier is my boy, so I don't want to piss him off by, by doing that to Melvin. But since I think you kind of set it up, I'm going into this with all respect because 
yes, he did lose that fight and he got knocked out. But that's not what I'm talking about. And and like you said, that happens in a fight. You know, he's not the first guy to get sparked by Robbie Lawler. It's actually a fairly common thing. It's kind of part of the game. But for one, it was a, a very good technical fight. You know, he tends to go a little bit berserker mode, which makes sense being from the Netherlands because that's like a Germanic culture. And, uh, you know, that's kind of like where the berserkers come from. But like, and Mike's he likes to- gym. As What's I that? mentioned before, Mike's gym, as I mentioned before, a lot of those guys that fight in that style, you know, came out of his gym. Um, you know, he was out of that gym. Badahari was out of that gym. Just a lot of guys that had that crazy style. That's a part of what they teach. But I think with Robbie Lawler, he wasn't necessarily doing that. He was a little bit more technical. He was picking them apart. And he was roughing him up. He was dominating that fight. Like you said, Riley Lawler had probably landed very few shots, if any, up until the knockout shot. And he landed hard body shots, but they were fighting orthodox to southpaw. So Robbie Lawler was in the southpaw stance. So what we see a lot of times is an outside leg kick in that fight was an inside leg kick. So he's throwing these inside leg kicks off his back foot. And, what I'm talking about, Robbie Lawler's leg was lifting like above his waist. Like he, yeah, he was damn near kicking his leg off, and uh, it was crazy. And then as soon as the fight was done, you see Robbie Lawler limps over to you know kind of pay respects to Melvin's corner, and he could barely walk around. And and anybody, whether you're a fan of Robbie's or not, everybody knows this guy's hard as a fucking coffin nail. Right, And he could barely walk around that cage. Yeah, and I think you made, you know, you definitely made some good points. And um, with that fight, and that was one of the things that I, you know, was trying to point out. It was really the display that he put on. The ending, you know, shit happens sometimes. But if you want to see what he's able to do, particularly at that time against elite level fighters, uh, Robbie Lawler, as we know, is very elite. Um, and for him to be able to put on that display, nobody has ever done that to Robbie Lawler, right? And it was just a, it was an incredible um, kind of display of work. And to your point, and I'll actually go into that question. I'll double back because I still want to talk about uh, um, any other fights you have for that and also uh, um, any kickboxing matches. but. Um, I did have a question about is Melvin Manhoof the best at the kill or be killed style? And it's because of what you mentioned. In my opinion, when I look at him, I think he's very precise in his strikes. I think he's very patient and he has a gas tank. This is the issue, in my opinion. Or not the issue, but this is what makes his style still that killer be killed style if at any point in time he thinks he hurts you he's throwing caution to the wind he's throwing everything that he has and he's defense becomes a second thought and those are the points in time in which he can get caught so i want to get your opinion on that and just what you think about you know other fighters you think of a vanderlei silva or, you know, so many fighters that had that style where they go out there and is really kill or be killed. So I think he would be, I don't, 
I wouldn't say he's the greatest killer be killed fighter, but I would say he's like one of the forefront pioneers of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, only because when I look at some of the other names of guys that I think had that style, when you look at a Justin Gaethje, you'd probably put their, you know, career highlights a little higher than Melvin's. Mm-hmm. But I feel like you kind of got to make them, you know, on the Mount Rushmore of that just based on the pure stats. So, you know, he's got 50 MMA fights, 32 wins, 32 of the 29 are by knockouts. So I know we mentioned this stat on one of the other episodes, but that's mm-hmm. the highest percentage of any MMA fighter with at least 15 wins, knockout percentage. So basically mm-hmm. if he wins, it's because he's going to knock you out. But if you look at all his MMA fights together, out of 50 fights, only three of his wins went to a decision in two of his losses. Right. So that means five out of 50 fights. So 90% of his fights are getting finished. If that's not a fighter that you want to tune into, I don't know what the fuck is. And that's like, that's like the definition of kill or be killed. I mean, I... I feel like in this fight game, you're never going to get 100%. And 90% of your MMA record is is pretty... And, that, and that's not even getting to the kickboxing side. That's just on the MMA side. That is that is crazy. And that's why, you know, he's got that Yo Romero fight coming up. The reason that we are giving Melvin his roses is because I've been watching MMA for over 20 years now. And you could throw the fucking record out the window. If he's got a fight, I'm going to check it out because somebody's getting lit up. Yeah, I I agree. And he still demands a lot of respect. When you look at his losses, um, there's very few where. And once again, I mentioned he he's fought a lot of giants, right? He's fought Corey Anderson, 6'3", 205. Joe Schilling, 6'3", 200. Mark Hunt. He's not the tallest guy, 5'10", right? But all of 265, he probably cuts down to 265, right? Uh, Remy Bonjowski, who I mentioned before, 6'3", 240, right? He fights these giant guys. And even when you look at that, you look at his MMA record, he's been KO'd um, six times. But some of that, like the Corey Anderson, Corey Anderson, really wanted no parts of him, you know, on the feet. You know, he's like, listen, I'm taking this to the ground where I know I can win. I'm not giving this guy a chance. And we're, once again, we're talking about Corey Anderson, a guy that was in the UFC, did well in the UFC, came over to Bellator, 6'3", 205 pounds. And this little 5'8", dude, He's like, no, I'm going I'm to take that little motherfucker down. <laughs> well, and, and for the record, Corey Anderson, let's not forget, he fights with a bit of a chip, a chip of, on his shoulder. Corey Anderson's a scrappy yeah. fucking dude. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. But, um, you know, so just, just throwing that out there when I think about, um, you know, kind of that, that killer be killed style. And you made some really good points. And the only thing that I would say is when I was looking at it, I wasn't looking necessarily at um, the, how can I say it? I think uh, somebody like Justin Gaethje, of course, is way more decorated and everything like that. But if I look at Gaethje's actual style, right, and 
if you remember at one point, he only knew to throw caution to the wind. I don't see him being as calculated to really have that early patience and then just turn it on. He's been able to do it in some fights, but we know there's still a lot of times where he just goes out there and just throw it. And he doesn't even have to hurt the guy first. If he gets hit, he'll throw caution to the wind, right? So it was more me looking at the, um, I guess, the strategic style of it. Uh, but yeah, I think you made some uh, some good points. And um, I do want to get, before we go to anything else, I do want to get anything anything that stood out for you as far as any of his kickboxing matches. Yeah, so I'm not as big of a kick, kickboxing fan as you are. Um, and, and I like to think of you as a, a dork when it comes to uh, yeah. uh, combat sports <laughs> and it's weird yes. because i'm into real life nerd stuff that you're not like i like star wars i like mcu i like all that stuff if it's fairly nerdy i'm into it you not so much when it comes to combat sports you are the nerd of our fan base. Like you like the most <laughs> obscure shit. Like you love obscure jujitsu tournaments and Dutch kickboxing and all the shit that, and it's because you, you're a forums baby. You know what I mean? When we just had to take what we could get, you know, whatever link got dropped in a forum is some kind of thing to watch. Um, But I am not as big of a, a kickboxing fan. So for me, it's not about like any particular fight. Um, it's more about the, the, the competition. When you look at the fact that, you know, he fought Spong, he fight, uh, he fought Goku, Gokan Saki. Um, you, you know, he's taken on the, the, the elite of that. So he's not just a guy that's dabbled in both. Like I'm an MMA fighter, but I'll box if it's Jake Paul, you know what I mean? Like, he fought the elite of the elite of kickboxing. And that's and that's a bad example because now it turns out fucking Jake Paul is a good boxer. So joke's on me because he's actually pretty fucking good at this. But, um, you know, he's fought the best of the best. To me, I feel like he was more... A lot like Mirko Krokop. I guess it, I, I would compare him to a Mirko Krokop who was a good kickboxer, not a great kickboxer, but his skill set translated better to MMA than it did to kickboxing. And I think Melvin is one of those guys. And I I feel like the only reason that he stuck with kickboxing as long as he did is because I feel like that's his true love. I think he was actually better at MMA, but it's like... It's like addiction. You know what I mean? You know it's not good for you. You know you're about to go lose eight straight, but you just fucking love it. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I'll touch on that last part that you talked about in a minute. I want to give kind of my favorite kickboxing, but uh, because what you touched on toward the end actually goes toward another question I had, but um, so my favorite kickboxing match of his is probably the Bonjowski fight four. And this is the reason why. And this goes into the mentality of certain guys like him. They have fought three times previous. He lost all three of them and one of them by KO. 
And then he comes back and beat him in the fourth fight. And once again, this isn't one of those, oh, Remy's too old. And these guys are about the same age. I don't know how old Remy are, is, but they are about the same age. But once again, this is a guy that, that is 6'3", 240 pounds. And he comes back and beat him for the fourth fight. I just don't think, I think Melvin is one of those rare fighters where no matter what happened last fight or the fight before that or whatever, he really just goes out there and doesn't think about it and goes out there to knock the other person out. He's going out there to give it his all and he has the skill set to be able to overcome a lot of mismatches. Now, he's on the wrong end of some of those mis mismatches, right? But still, just to be able to have the mindset to come out and do that, um, you know, it's spectacular to me. And so that was a big one. And then him versus Spong, I liked that fight a lot. It didn't end in, it ended in a decision, but they really kind of went for it, especially in that last round. And, uh, you know, both guys showed a lot of respect to each other at the end. And you were able to see some really vicious combinations. He got hit with probably about 15 knees to the face. It didn't go down. It was, it was crazy. Uh, Remy, also mm -hmm. from Suriname. Yeah, that was who I mentioned earlier. Oh, okay. Yeah, when I said, let me look this guy up, that's who I was talking about. My bad. Yeah. I just, yeah. <laughs> as I popped him up when we were talking, and they are the exact same age, by the way. But I just yeah, like, I, it was I just now today, and, when, and for the record, when I Googled mm -hmm. where Dutch is from, is one mm -hmm. of the things that it popped up is that's where a lot of uh, the popula uh, population comes from Suriname. Yeah, that's it's crazy. Like a major, major uh, immigration spot to. The you know what I think it probably is, and I haven't looked this up, but I'm gonna guess. You know how a lot of places in South America still were under rule of places from over in Europe and whatnot. I'm yeah, like a lot of Caribbean that, spots. Yeah, I'm gonna guess that surname was probably under Dutch rule, and so if you wanted to leave that area, where else else could you go? and have a similar culture, you have to go over to the Netherlands. I don't know that that to be true. I'm going to guess on that. Yeah, it's like when you watch the World Baseball Classic and like Aruba, you know, you look at Aruba's team and half of them are indigenous to Aruba and the other half are named like Jorgenhausenson. <laughs> so that's all they have is indigenous people and, and big-ass white dudes with names this long. <laughs> That's hilarious. But what I wanted to go over into was to piggyback now on what you talked about with, um, you know, I guess this is for lack of better terms. I want to understand what your thoughts are. If he really um, kind of fought in his weight class, didn't kind of go out there and fight the bigger dudes and um, what would have been different? What do you think would have or could have been different in his career? Do you think he could have made a UFC or something like that? I mentioned earlier, um, he's about the same size a, a, as Tyron Woodley. And I've said many times before, I always thought that Tyron Woodley was too small for 170, even though he went up there, won the belt, defended the belt. I think he was too small compared to 
the other 170 fighters, the guys like Usman, the guys, the guys like Gaethje, you know, who's bigger than Usman. So many of these guys, and I, I looked at and I said, you know, to me, he should go down to 155. And I think, you know, Melvin is right there, you know, 5'8", a little stocky, but not a huge guy. When you see him next to other people, right, it's like when you see, um, when you would see Woodley in press conferences and stuff like that, and he's next to these other guys, and he was always the smallest dude. Like, uh, um, what's his name was bigger than him? Uh, what's his name? Um, uh, uh, shoot. Why am I not thinking of his name? The, um, you know, the super footwork guy. Um, Cruz. But yeah, Dillashaw. Cruz was bigger. Cruz was bigger than him. You know, yeah. like when they, they would sit up at the print and I'm like, you know, everybody was bigger than him. I look at Melvin as being one of those guys. Now, both of these guys are muscular, so they can appear to be bigger than what they are. But when you see them next to other people, other fighters, they're not big guys at all. So what do you think if he was 170 instead of 205, <laughs> right? Fighting regular size human beings instead of giants, <laughs> right? What do you think that outcome could have been? And looking at his early MMA uh, start, do you think he could have made it to a UFC? Yeah, so that's that's actually definitely something I wanted to cover today. Um, and I think you stole most of my thunder, but I'll sneak a little bit out of there still. Um, so yeah, at five eight, if you look at his record, he's only fought at middleweight, uh, middleweight light heavyweight, and has heavyweight fights. You know, which is intense. All these other guys that we've mentioned, Spong is six two, Remy's six three. You know, these are all way way bigger dudes. And unfortunately, I just think it's uh, just cursed with the wrong look. If he wanted to have been like a bodybuilder or something, he's got the perfect genetics for that. And I think he's just cursed with yeah. the wrong body type for what he loves. Because, you know, the Woodley comparison you made, and I agree with everything you said, but at least Woodley's still only 170. You know what I mean? <clears throat> He's he's up here with the big boys. And and I don't know, honestly, that there's much else he could have did because you look at how burly he is. And I understand that he's short, but I feel like it would have took a lot to have to get down to 170. You know what I mean? I don't know that he could. And obviously, honestly, even you put him at 170, you know, guys at 170, Leon's the new champion. He was, he's 6'2 at 170, you know? Um you have to get down to fucking featherweight and lightweight before Melvin is actually tall enough, you know? So I just think, like I said, if he wanted to be a bodybuilder, he's got the body type for that. Now, I think he's a guy that just managed to get the most out of everything he had. But I just think it's one of those things that uh, I don't think there's a good weight class for him. I just don't, you know. I definitely think, uh, to your point, I definitely think he has the frame of, of a body. He could have been a – that's another sport I actually follow quite a bit. And, I know. I thought you'd be happy. That's why I threw that out <laughs> yeah. there for you. So now you can't even argue with me, even if you wanted to. <laughs> I'm, like, like, making you choose between peanut butter and chocolate. You're like, ah, oh, shit. I don't know. I guess he's right. Yeah, it's funny, too, because if people don't follow the sport, you would think that bodybuilders are, like, tall or big. But um, 
the governor, Schwarzenegger, is, I believe, the tallest bodybuilder to ever win a major title at 6'1", 6'2", or whatever he's listed at. Most of your, you know, you, when you think about the goats of bodybuilding, they're all about somewhere between 5'8 and 5'10". They're not really big dudes. Um, it, it's hard to pack. It's hard to pack that much muscle on a tall frame. Those are the flames that yeah. tend to lean out. You know, yep, like exactly. Lanky. Not to mention how for the how for how wide these guys get to really show off that muscle. If yeah, your you're lats. If, yeah. If you're like six two, six three, you'd be four hundred pounds. You know, back in Arnold's day, you didn't have to be as big as you do now. So you can get away with it being taller nowadays. I mean, yeah, you just wouldn't be able to do it. But I think you may. Yeah, and, and, uh, yeah people don't mm-hmm. realize as big as Arnold is, Arnold is only like 6'1". Like yeah. compared to modern action stars, Hemsworth 6'4", yep. Momoa 6'4". Yep. Arnold, he had the muscles. He was Mr. Universe. But yeah, he's, he's these guys are giant nowadays. He's Bodybuilders are not tall dudes typically. Yeah, and I I don't know if you remember I had put in a group once. Um, it was that photo of him on the set of Conan or something like that, and it's him there, and it was Andre the Giant, and it was ah uh, shoot, um, it's Kareem Abdul Jabbar, right? Eh? Was it Kareem? I'm or trying to it... think. I'm not sure that it was Kareem. I think it was um. Oh shoot! What is his name? I have to look it up now. Will, uh, yeah, Will, yep, it was Will, it was Will Chamberlain, um, and literally, he looked like their little brother that they would put in a headlock and give a, <laughs> you know, a nuggy to. That's what he looked like compared to Andre and Will. It was it they're was like ridiculous. literally holding him up in the air between the two of them or <laughs> yeah, something. It was ridiculous. But uh, to your Melvin point, yeah, the reason why I think he still could have been really good at one seventy was because at least one of the issues he wouldn't have to worry about. So when you're fighting at 205, which I think he spent most of his career, when you're fighting at 205 and heavyweight and whatnot, it's not just that you're giving up that height. It's that these guys are usually not cutting as much also, right? So because they're a little bit closer to their natural weight, so now you're fighting a much bigger all-around guy. Whereas at, at least down at 170, if you get a guy, you know, 6'2", 6'3", he's cutting a lot to get down that. He's not a big frame guy. You he's just have be to worry about too. the distance. It's going to be right. a Diaz brother. Leon right. Edwards is one of the rare, large, you know, he's broad-shouldered, <laughs> but most of, most of the taller guys in their divisions are more lanky. Yep, exactly. So if, when I look at them and I think about kind of his career and the landscape of, um, you know, kind of where he went through, he had his first um, MMA fight back in 1995, right? So if we look at going through that range of fighters that he's still out there fighting today and looking crazy, I absolutely think that early on, had he been one of those guys around 170, he probably could have made it to the UFC and won a title. I mean, he went on some big runs 
you know, back during that time, you know, when he fought uh, Evangelista the first time, Ian Freeman and a lot of those guys, he was on like a 10 fight, you know, win streak in MMA with almost all of those being KOs. But I think, um, you know, going back to something that you mentioned too, um, I think his love was kickboxing. And because of that, I don't think he rounded his himself out as much as he probably should have, uh, because he, you know, his, his goal is to go out there and try and really knock your head off your shoulders. Right. Uh, but it's a thing to be seen. It, it, his style, I just absolutely love it. You know, he's like, you know, we all got that boy that's stuck in that toxic ass relationship, you know, and every time you think he's about out of it <laughs> and he's moving on to something else, he goes back and you're like, dude, what are you doing? It's that except it's kickboxing. Like that's his toxic relationship. He just right when he thinks he thinks he's out, he keeps pulling him back in. Even though even though you're five eight and you're definitely built for wrestling, you you are built to be an Olympic level wrestler. For some reason, you just love this Dutch style of kickboxing. Well, I guess it's also your surroundings, right? If he had grew up in Iowa. He might have been a wrestler. You know, a wrestler. Yeah. I totally agree. You um, know, and one of the other things I wanted to say, like how you said, uh, you use Woodley as a comparison, mm-hmm. and I think another fighter that is stuck in that that uh, body type is Benson Henderson, mm-hmm. where in their when you have giant legs, you know, so you got a big legs, big ass. Mm-hmm. that brings something to the table. You know what I mean? It's a lot of driving force. It's explosive force. It gives you power. You know, there's a lot to it, but it's a weight that's hard to see. And it makes everybody look a lot bigger than you. Cause your legs are dense and it holds a lot of muscle, you know, but for some reason they're always going to look a little bit smaller than everybody weighs what they are. And uh, I think he's definitely like those three guys are all in that body type where, they're they're so explosive. They're such good athletes. They bring so much to the table. They're just so much shorter than everybody that weight. Like the weight's not displaced in a fair manner, basically. Yeah, Ben Ben Doe used to be one of my favorite fighters. I was really big on him, and I remember telling people before he came to the UFC that as soon as he came to the UFC, he was the next guy to get the title. I think uh, his biggest issue was he just stopped evolving. And and then he decided to, you know, similar to uh, Melvin, he decided after he lost the title that he was going to go and fight giants. And that just didn't work out well. Uh, he's come back down from fighting so many giants, but that takes a toll. <laughs> I know this ain't the Bendo episode, but I think uh, with his personality and his uh, kind of whoever, whenever mentality. I think Ben Henderson would have been a lot more successful if his if he was in his prime of his career now versus when he actually was. Yeah, I could see that, especially because, you know, during that time, the way the UFC was, it was really the, you know, two to three losses and out type of error. Whereas now, as we know, shit, 
Just, just, just get some people in the seats. You can stay as long as you want. Hey, Sam, five, Sam five, Elvey five just had to break BJ Penn's record to get released. <laughs> yeah, and, and by the way, you mentioned Jake Paul. He's been Sam Elvey has been on an absolute tear of calling out Jake Paul. I think he's calling him out at least once a day, every day since his last fight. And uh, it don't sound like Jake Paul wants any part of that. <laughs> well, if you listen, one of the things he says, and Sam Alvey's got a pretty good TikTok. You, you know, if you want to follow him, it's, it's pretty interesting if you're if you're a fighter or if you're into fighting. Um, but I guess he sparred with both the Paul brothers, and he always says, "Well, he said he, Jake wouldn't spar him. He sparred that's with right. Logan. That's yeah. right. He boxed. He sparred Logan. Jake wouldn't spar him." But one of the things he said, which whether it's true or wrong or whatever, it's a gangster ass quote when because somebody was talking shit because, you know, he's a guy that's got like 50,000 followers versus Jake Paul's 40 or whatever, but uh, 40 million, you know, and right. uh, they were like, yeah, he would never fight you because he doesn't know who you are. And no, Sam Elvey said, no, he won't fight me because he does know who I am. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, no, I would love to see that fight. And it's funny because uh Alvy has found different ways to insult him. And the last one one of the last ones I saw was Alvy said that um Jake Paul should fight um uh uh Mike Perry. He was like, you know, Mike Perry would beat the piss out of you, but and this was the big insult part. He was like, but I mean, Mike Perry's a smaller guy, and I know how you only like to fight smaller dudes. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it was absolutely hilarious. But that would be a good fight. I would love to see that one. Yeah, I'm, um, I'm for that. That's a move in the right direction for Jake Paul, and I think that's something he could still sell. It's still winnable, but it's a threatening fight because Mike Perry, yeah, he can he, punch, man. And he's not going to go out there and lay down. MVP, so I got one last MVP Go 100% underestimated <laughs> Mike Perry. He thought he got a layup fight and he was just going to walk in there and beat the shit out of him. And I'm I think I think if they rematch, MVP will beat his ass. Mhm. Uh cuz I don't think that'll happen again. But yeah, that's the the what's the saying a puncher's chance? Yeah. I think it's easy to underestimate Mike Perry, but yeah, I mean, the guy's a fighter at the end of the day. So I got one last question for you before we wrap this up. And it's a pretty open question. Okay. And we kind of talked about it a little bit already, but it wasn't on this episode. So what are your thoughts on the upcoming fight, Melvin Manhu versus yoel romero which is that's going to be at bellator what is it that is going to be i know i jotted it down here somewhere it's coming up yeah bellator 285 and on september 23rd so it's about four weeks away about a month away so <clears throat> i am for it and I tried to not be, you know, because they're older, they're, you know, Yul's 45, Manu's 46, and I was thinking, ah, you know, I don't know if I like this. I'm, uh, as I get older, I'm becoming more concerned with other people's children's, you know, CTE and Grand shit kids. like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, 
what when I looked at this fight, for one, Yoel Romero is, you know, he, he's just built different. You know what I mean? He he's a specimen. And he's been in some tough fights, but he hasn't been in a ton of wars. He's he hasn't been knocked out. So I'm not too worried about him. I'm not even convinced he's a human person. I mean, I think he might be a really human looking alien that just gets bigger with age you know <laughs> because if we're assuming mm-hmm. usada is accurate and this guy is not juicing that is crazy 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 genetics so i don't know that he's a human so i'm i'm, I'm gonna i'm willing to let him fight you know at an old age but i actually like what melvin's doing with his career in his late age because yes he's got some knockouts but over all of his fights in MMA, he only has six knockout losses, which is a lot. And when you're talking about the Robbie Lawler one, he was legit out. You know, some people take it better than others. But if you look at his late career, he's not doing what he used to do, where you're doing three MMA fights and two boxing matches, you know, a kickboxing match. Right. Before. He's been fighting once a year, take a year off, twice a year, take a year off. And he hasn't fought in either since 2020, you right. know. And I like that he's just showing up. I, I feel like it's really coming from a content, competitive place because if you look, he's not competing for any real titles. And maybe he wants to put together a title run. I don't know. But I feel like he just seems like a guy that really wants to compete. I don't think he's taking a ton of brain trauma because he's taking a long time off in between fights. And I think it could be interesting because Joel Romero's a guy that only has boring fights. If you want, if you want to be a counter fighter against him, it's going to be boring because he's gonna, he's not going to move. But if you push the pace, he will fight back. And if there's one thing we know, it's that Melvin's going to push the pace. So I think I like to both where they are at at their careers for older fighters where they're still making interesting fights, and I think it should be a good one. Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail on the head with everything that you said. And um, that's the big thing. It's, um, you know, I think I've mentioned this before. I remember watching something that Freddie Roach was talking about when um, when Pacquiao had got knocked out by Marquez and he got, you know, knocked out cold. And he said he banned him from the gym for a year. So not even like not taking a fight for a year he wouldn't even let him come in the gym to start training for a year. And he said, because he understands when you get knocked out like that, people think a couple weeks, couple months or whatever, you'll be better. He said, it takes a long time for your brain and everything to really repair itself for you to be able to get back in there and start putting in work. Um, and to your point with, um, you know, with that last fight that he had against Corey Anderson, it was a knockout. And, um, you know, like you said, he hasn't fought in two years. So, you know, he's been giving himself the right time, the right everything. I think it's the right move, especially as you get older. You know, I when you're young and, and people really don't understand this, I think until you get old, when you're young, you can hurt yourself and be back out there the next day. Right. Be back out there a couple of days. I'll be okay. The problem is when you get older, not only can you not bounce back as quick, all of those injuries that you thought were gone 
because they didn't bother you anymore when you were younger. They come back when you're older. Yeah, <laughs> it's, like, it's like, wait a minute. I heard that shoulder in, in high school football. And 20 years later, it's like, I'm back. <laughs> right? So um, I think that's a, a, a big factor. Um, and so giving yourself the proper time to rest and everything like that means something. And I, I remember... Um, I remember another fighter. I don't remember who it was that kind of talked about that. And they talked about as they got older, one of the things that they learned too, that was really big was learning to take the rest days to get the massages, to get the deep tissue stuff, to go to the chiropractor, do all the things to really take care of yourself that you don't think about, or you don't really need when you're younger. But as you get older, that maintenance becomes that much more important. And to your point, Yoel, I mean, Yoel's your well. So yeah, <laughs> superhuman, but I'm really excited for this fight. Um, I think it's going to be a good fight. I don't think, as we know, a lot of people still run from Yoel or or simply try to do little quick point fight to try to get a decision. I think Melvin's going to be calculated, but I think he's going to look for openings to take it to Yoel. And Yoel, as we know, he already is kind of slow slash explosive. So I think it's one of those fights where no matter what's happening, even if a punch or a kick isn't being thrown, you'll be on the edge of your seat because you know both guys are explosive and could put the other guy out there out of there at the drop of a hat. So well, yeah. here's and, why it's gonna be interesting. Mm -hmm. So when you talk about like chess match matches, if you're fighting Yo Romero, you know you should probably try to keep both your feet on the ground at any given moment. You know, that'd be an important thing to do. But we already talked about man who's toxic relationship with kicking shit. Like, he's not yes. going to be able to not throw just bombs at Yoel. And as patient as he wants to be, he's not going to be able to eat too many of those before he decides, you know what? Wrestling sounds good right about now. And I think that could cause some uh, some explosive scrambles. And I, uh, I'm... I'm here for it. I agree. And by the way, I did end up looking up surname, and sure enough, their official language is Dutch. Is so it? That, yeah. Okay. So that's why, um, so at some point in time, they must have been under Dutch rule. I didn't go into the fine details because I didn't feel like reading through everything. Uh, but when I looked that up, it, it makes sense that, you know, that would be the easy transition if you're trying to get out of that area uh, you know, to get on to something else. But yeah, that is, uh, I figured it must be by us coming up with so many of those people. And then as you, you know, throughout there with kickboxing and Muay Thai and everything like that, you know, a lot of times it's, it's, a it's people from, uh, they get into it young and they're usually from families that are not well off. It makes sense that a lot of people would, bring their families over to the Netherlands looking for a better life and then kids getting into kickboxing. So it makes sense, but it's a great formula. <laughs> Building monsters, man. Absolutely. So anything else before I kind of do some last words, wrap up? No, I think that's it. Uh, I think we should definitely cover some more of these guys that, uh, you know, the fallen goats are cool but they're still big, big names. Like some people ain't given Melvin his due. And uh, right. 
we should all stop and smell the fucking roses a little bit and appreciate what this 5'8 fucking undersized motherfuckers out here sacrificing his soul for to kick the shit out of fucking people. To, he wants to literally kick somebody's leg out of the cage. He tried you in a Lawler fight. <laughs> like, I want to break it off at the knee and shoot it into the crowd. I'm going to try. So just to wrap it up, once again, as Locke mentioned, the point was to go ahead and give a spectacular fighter like Melvin Manhoof, give him his roses. He won't. You won't find him on people's list of the most popular fighters. You won't find him on the list of the GOATs. But you will find him on a list of anybody that's a true fan of MMA or kickboxing that really likes a person that goes out there, puts it on on the line, and, you know, really takes it to people. Actually, you know what? I did forget one thing. I forgot to mention his past titles. I'll throw that in real quick. He was the Rage Cage light heavyweight title, and he was the Showtime Max uh, 100 85 kilogram uh, max champion uh, for its showtime, which is also, um, I think that was the belt that um, Tyrone Spong had for a while also. But just to say that um, if you want to see some great fights, if you're a fan, especially if you're new to MMA, you want to go back and watch some of the pioneers and just watch some all around exciting fights and to see where some of these styles came from. This is a great guy to start off with. You'll be able to go and watch, you know, if you can find him, probably 80 fights that he's had mixed with um, MMA and uh, and kickboxing slash Muay Thai. And, uh, you know, just an all-around exciting fighter, uh, a guy that, you know, all, as crazy as you would think he appears that always showed class at the end of his fights that was a good sport also. So with that said, giving out our gloves and roses to Melvin Manhoof. Anything else after that, Lot? Last thing, you won't find him on anybody's GOAT list or their Mount Rushmore. You'll find him on, if they're not on, if he's not on your all-violence team, you don't know MMA. All-violence team. With that said, thank you everybody for listening come again that wraps up another fat boy mma podcast if you have a topic for us please email us at fatboymma 55 at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media by going to links.fatboymma.com that's links.fatboymma.com thank you for listening